Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how you doing i'm doing okay we're still uh you know dealing with snow in in arkansas here we're down in bentonville arkansas uh but i mean it's melting it was 50 and sunny for the past couple days so temperatures have been very nice and we've seen the sun so there, there is that definitely can't complain I am, uh, so I'm starting to get nervous. I'm not going to lie. That's right. Big week. Big week. Big race this weekend. Uh, so hopefully next weekend we'll, or next week we'll have a, a really positive podcast to talk about how it all went. But uh, I guess if it doesn't go according to plan, there might also be some good learnings from that that could and go into it, a it less positive. It, of course, is Molly is racing a, a running 100-mile off-road race. Uh, so that's why we're down here in the, I guess, south. Are we south? Midwest? Uh, yeah, middle. I don't really know what you'd call it. Yeah, I don't know. We're anyway. in the middle. Uh, more south than Canada. Yeah. Uh, so. so we're down here for that. So hopefully that'll be some fun stories. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I went out and uh, ran the 20 mile. It's a five, five loops of a 20 mile course. I ran that with my friend slash pacer uh, this past weekend and really enjoyed it. So I'd say I'm, I'm definitely excited for it. Um, it getting into that pre-race jitters thing, I, as my, my friend Karen, who's done many of these, uh, told me, she said, expect the, the pre-race nerves to start earlier, but also to stop earlier. So you're nervous for a longer time leading up, but like pretty much the minute you're into the race, like the nerves just kind of... Well, don't the nerves always end once you're into the race? Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. I was like, I mean, it's not like I've ever gotten (laughs) to like mile two of a marathon and been like, oh, still nervous. Well, and maybe it's like even maybe even before, like it's not like the start you're that nervous for. So maybe it's it's not even the start, but maybe like once you've put on your pack and you're you know, yeah even at the start line maybe maybe that's what we'll give that anyhow yeah maybe there's something to that sure so that's good anything else on the site this week that uh, or, or otherwise you know anything else you've written that's uh, noteworthy yeah. yeah a few a few things up on the site uh, some good stuff from you kind of all about uh yeah just kind of a few good articles we've been getting a lot of uh mentions of dw's pants and the the one metric to rule them all which i think actually that article lends itself very nicely to today's guest because she is also prone to making kind of awesome philosophical arguments uh and in kind of cute little cartoon ways and you made a pretty deep philosophical argument uh by referencing our miniature dachshund and his obsession with pants yeah and maybe cartoons would be a clearer way to to communicate your thoughts well, i don't you know did get me actually this episode sparked peter's excellent christmas present to me which was how to draw uh tiny animals and it's a book that's definitely meant for like a seven-year-old although i stand by the fact that no seven-year-old could actually do those drawings and make them actually look as good as the book suggests yep. i certainly cannot uh, but uh, talking to today's guest, Tegan Phillips, a cartoonist and cyclist from South Africa, really inspired me to start wanting to get a little bit better at my drawing skills. Uh, spoiler alert, my drawing still, skills still suck, but... I thought that book sort of 
made it feel like you were making progress. I did, and I, I will definitely get back to it uh, once once this race is over and I have a bit more recovery time on my hands. I'll I'll keep working on my baby penguin because that was where I that was where I hit the wall was the baby penguin, if you recall. So <laughs> it's getting too complicated. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Tegan Phillips does not hit walls with her drawing. She actually, uh, I love her story because she actually started cartooning professionally. Um, the first thing she did was she won an adventure bike by submitting a cartoon. What's and an adventure? Oh, she like won a, a bicycle. Yeah, a bicycle. Okay. Uh, okay. And that kind of started her her whole journey. She was actually before that training up to be a lawyer. So she's had a very interesting road. Uh, she rides for Live out of, uh, out of South Africa. Um, and yeah, just really all around super cool story. I love her little cartoons. They're deeply philosophical. And you can check them out at Tegan Phillips. Uh, so T-E-G-A-N Phillips, uh, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S comics. Uh, I don't know if you tell that in the episode or not, but we'll get that in there because I do like her Instagram account. Uh, it has some of these comics and some of them are funny and some of them are, you know, funny because it's true. <laughs> type stuff uh the one i'm looking at now is about carb loading <laughs> it's this character who uh someone asks them what they're doing they say carb loading and they say oh for what and then they say just in case love it so love go. it i'm here for that uh but yeah there's all sorts of different topics yeah we talked through a couple of her 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 deeper ones that are a bit more like life and cycling oriented uh, about learning new things or trying new things uh, and yeah we just kind of talked through a bunch of stuff we get into some women specific stuff but it's not all it's not all that, although we get, uh, yeah, we get deep on some topics. And I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. It left me just so excited about bikes. Like she makes you just really psyched about your next ride. Cool. So yeah, w without further ado, let's, uh, let's get into this episode with Tegan Phillips. Enjoy. Tegan, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to, to have you. I've been following your cartoons for what feels like forever. And I love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a bit starstruck, like reading your stuff, following your cycling. So this is really exciting. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, so your bio like caught my eye as soon as I read it. Um, you were going to law school, you were planning on becoming a lawyer, and now you've ended up as a cycling cartoonist. Um, I can't actually <laughs> think of two things that are more different from each other. So let's discuss this origin story. How did this all come to be? <laughs> um it was an accident I'll say a, ha a happy accident um but yeah what, so I was studying law I had one semester left and I was going to go finish do that semester in the UK and there was um a lot of time like because of the they started there a lot later so I ended up having this three-month gap where like oh what should I do and I just started cycling um, with my dad like road cycling here and I like wasn't very good I didn't really know what I was doing but at least I enjoyed it because um, all other sports I was like really 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 bad cycling I was less bad so it was quite a big step up for me <laughs> um, and so then he my dad had kind of been hatching this idea that he wanted to do some cycle touring and I literally had no idea what it was so I remember I got home um from university I, I studied at like a few hours away and I came back to see my parents in June and my dad showed me this video by Tom Allen who I don't know if you know him the British adventurer who cycled around the world and met his wife and it was a very cute movie actually that he made about his adventure um 
but we watched this video and and I had never seen like bags on a bicycle before. I didn't know that you could do that. Like we don't do that in South Africa. See, I mean, having gone to Europe now, I'm like, oh, okay, that's it's not that unusual. But I was just like, well, <laughs> holy shit, like what is this? Um, and then a week later, uh, I saw on my dad's Twitter feed that I was literally just like reading over his shoulder, like sitting on the bed next to him being like, oh, what are you looking at? And it was a competition by Tom Allen to win a bike that he'd used to go travel th- somewhere. And you could, you had to make a comment on Tom's blog post where he was announcing this competition. And um, so I was reading through all these comments and people are like, yeah, I'm going to cure cancer and then cure AIDS and then ride the bike to go and deliver these cures, like to all relevant people that have these diseases and like sort of variations of that type of, um, obviously not that exact example, but things that felt along those lines like these very big intimidating plans and I was like well Mm -hmm. I don't have a plan that could be that interesting (laughs) so maybe like I just wanted to go get the bike in the UK and then cycle down through Spain and visit my sister who I hadn't seen in a while Uh, so I was riding my road bike here in Cape Town up this one mountain that I always go ride and as I got to the top of the mountain I was like I'm going to just write a silly poem and put it like, just draw it out make like a little YouTube video or something. And I did it. I, like I started working on it the night of the, the deadline <laughs> and I got it in with like one hour to spare. And that's kind of set the, the tone for my career as a cartoonist <laughs> and just everything in general, very much. I usually things are actually late to be honest. Um, but so then I, I, I won the competition and Tom liked the comics and the video. And then I kept a blog of that trip that I did in comics. And the next year we went traveling as a family on bicycles and I did more comic blogs. And then I was just like, Oh, I guess this is my job now. (laughs) And there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, So was your dad always into cycling? This is so interesting to me because my, my dad kind of is the reason I got into bikes too. So <laughs> very, very similar there. So was he like into bikes your whole life and you just didn't get into them till you were older? Yeah, more or less. I think he, he sort of got into it. I think we were about nine or 10 because I remember it was a transition from running and he started cycling and he suddenly like, it's weekend, like, where's dad? <laughs> like, and I used to get so angry because there's this race that in, in South Africa um, and it always happens on my birthday. Even this year, we're going to go do it next week. But it's called the Double Century and my dad would always be gone on my birthday and I would have these ridiculous tantrums. <laughs> like, no, you can't leave again. And he's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's my memory of my dad and cycling. And then, yeah, I tried it once or twice and I just, like, I didn't manage to get into it and then when I got on a road bike yeah like I've been doing a bit of spinning and that was a a big turning point for me but it was it was quite late yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's super interesting and and now you you actually get to go do these these races with your dad instead of getting (laughs) abandoned on your birthday exactly now I'm like Dan we can't do anything for my birthday because I'm gonna be at the race but maybe you can go for dinner the week before (laughs) Oh, I like it. So I love that you started out from more of this like adventure perspective in cycling. Um, so you had that 11,000 kilometer bike trip. Is yeah. That, I mean, it. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of kilometers. I don't even know how to start unpacking that. So what the heck? <laughs> like it, 
it sounds long, but it's actually not um, like, I mean, I think I did that last year just in training <laughs> rides, but it's it's more, it, we, we had a whole year as a family where we all just sort of took the year off, like we were all in between things. My dad sold his company and um, we just went, we started in Cape Town, we put a whole lot of stuff on our bikes and then cycled up. We didn't have a, like much of a plan. We sort of wanted to be in Zanzibar sort of around the middle of the year and then we were just like well let's just do a week <laughs> it's like start riding out the door and you go a bit north we're like okay where should we go now and we keep going a bit north and eventually sort of we actually got to to Zanzibar area but early so we went a bit further north into Kenya and then came back but it was just you know slow pedaling like 15 k's an hour um with carrying stuff and stopping, we took trains, we took ferries. Although, so I think the total trip distance was like 20,000 Ks, but 11 of it was cycling and the rest was just like, um, and for some reason, every time we got on public transport, it would go so wrong. Like you would think that cycling would be full of disasters, but it was always the train we got on derailed, the ferry we got on like didn't make it. And then some guy cut his finger off. The bus that we got on to get across two countries just my dad and I were like packing our bicycles <laughs> to get on my mom and sister were on the bus to literally cross from Uganda into Kenya and we like put two of the bicycles on we turn around to get our bikes and we look back and the bus is like gone <laughs> like hmm we didn't have a cell phone no passwords nothing so cycling ended up actually being the the safest way to get around <laughs> oh my gosh Okay. What do you pack for that? Like what is in these bags? Because I feel like this would be where I would struggle the most. Like, oh, we're going to take a year and like do some riding. What do you bring? Less than you would think. (laughs) Um, And like one of the best, I guess, tips that I would give anybody going on adventures, like don't stress too much about researching or trying to figure these things out beforehand because you can spend we spent months or okay my dad spent months kind of planning and researching what to pack and what stove and what tents and like it's good to have a general sense but literally you can do this much planning like a month and then the first week you really know what you need and what you don't need Mm -hmm. and it changes as well so I mean like a tiny little bit of clothes I think I had two t-shirts like a riding shirt and a casual shirt um and one or two uh, like I think two pairs of cycling shorts and then just uh tents sleeping bags probably some other oh I bought a pot plant which was not super necessary <laughs> but it's just sort of for fun um as like a pet uh, but it got <laughs> confiscated at one of the borders oh no and I also bought my childhood doll which is actually quite a big doll and uh, a magic kit to do tricks but we didn't use that and a ukulele, which was also used about once the whole year. <laughs> I had these visions like, oh, I'm going to be sitting around the fire. And I was just like, no, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I have bought many a ukulele for that exact reason and have never <laughs> actually used one. I think that it's, it's a certain type of person who has this vision of themselves <laughs> in their head of like, totally just going to be like playing this on a hammock. It's going to be amazing. And you never actually touch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next question. How on earth do you get along with your family for that long? Because that is like an intense proposition. A lot of people are probably listening to this like, 
holy crap, I can't imagine spending that much time with my, like a weekend with my family, let alone <laughs> 11,000 kilometers. Um, yeah, I, I think we just got lucky. Like we've always been a really, really close family. And I mean, we did have to learn how about each other because, you know, when my sister and I were in high school, I'd been at university for three years. So I hadn't been with them for quite a while. But everyone had been so busy, like my dad and his job, my mom doing all of her work stuff and she'd been studying. My sister was finishing high school. I was away. So we almost hadn't, we'd been together for a long time, but we hadn't spent a lot of time with each other all as adults together. So it was mm-hmm. quite interesting learning um, just those dynamics. But I think a really big, uh, what helped was my parents really set the tone. <laughs> Sorry, my dog wants food. Oh. <laughs> my parents set the tone for kind of, um, I want to say like no drama, no bullshit, like mm-hmm. um, none of us are really that quick to anger, I would say. So there wasn't a lot of petty fighting, but when there was kind of, conflict um it was usually my dad who would just be like okay now sort this out and get it done and put it away and like this is like we're not gonna have this and my sister and I really learned from from that and it's something that I still carry with me is that you just if there's anything in life that's gonna waste time it's drama (laughs) so just avoid it at all costs and it's never essential I think anybody that tells himself that there's some drama that just is inherent or inevitable. Like that's a lie. I'm sorry. It's mm-hmm. like just so that helped. Um, and yeah. just being willing to apologize for things and kind of um, take responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's to me, that's actually like one of the most fraught situations you can be in riding with, with people in general, like riding with someone <laughs> for like two hours is difficult riding with people for months is really tough. I mean, so I, I feel like you must have some good advice on this. Like, how do you, how do you handle what everyone's going to have different paces or be feeling different ways from day to day? And like one day someone might be feeling great. And the other person is feeling a little, little low. Like, I know this is a huge issue for bike packing groups of people. So how do you, how did you deal with it? Yeah, it, um, it is really interesting how different people have different living and traveling styles, but Uh, I think with these things, it's always really important to like, when you start, you go in with a decision about like, what is the tone of this trip going to be? Like, are we going to stick together? Are people going to go ahead? And and, like, are we going to, you know, is everyone comfortable to let others go at their own pace? So I think a lot of it's just managing expectations. So we were very much like, okay, we're going to ride together and we're going to ride at the pace of the slowest person. And if somebody's feeling strong, they'll carry heavier stuff. So like in general, we would just try to divide the weight of what we were carrying. Cause I mean, at, at the, like my bike at times was 50 kilograms, which I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's a lot it's, of pounds. <laughs> like, it's a, it's very heavy. Um, so whereas my sister's bike would maybe be 30 kilograms or 20 kilograms. Uh, and then when I got malaria, I just lost all my strength. So I went from being possibly the strongest rider when we started and then, getting malaria just going to being the weakest very quickly for quite a while uh, and then having to just fill my bags with light things and give all of the heavier stuff so that was a good way to kind of keep everyone together but I think there was no that we always knew from the beginning that this wasn't going to be a time to like try race bicycles 
it was yeah. just about moving as a group uh, and we did have to stay together for safety anyways mm-hmm. um just for traffic and stuff yeah yeah well, it's funny I so I just finished uh, or the the new shred girls book is out and it's about bike packing um and in it I I talk I have the girls go through my first experience bike packing which was probably like a pretty close to 50 kilogram bike and me, oh my goodness me standing up to climb a hill at the beginning of the trip thinking like I'm just gonna show off how strong I am this is no problem <laughs> The problem with standing up when you have all of your weight in the back is the bike instantly slides out from under. (gasps) So I went from being like the cool person in the group who totally knew how to ride bikes to the one that's just like wiped out on the road in the first, I think, like three miles of the trip. Lesson learned. Um, You just go fast with the 50 kilogram bike. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So that was that. That's what I learned. Yeah. Humbling. <laughs> it really yes. is. It really, really is. And okay, the other adventure that you mentioned on your website is a 10 Ironman triathlon around New Zealand. Okay, explain to me what exactly that consists of, or like what did that look like? Um a mess. <laughs> no, it was um also a competition where you could you had you could pitch to get some sponsorship um to do an adventure I was trying to think of like what would be an interesting adventure and for some reason New Zealand was just stuck in my head and I don't know why because I hate the cold and I hate rain and that is what you get in New Zealand um but it is like it's such a famous adventure destination and I thought okay well I've done the cycling uh thing so maybe like let's spice it up a little bit um with some running because I've always quite enjoyed running and swimming I'm so terrible at swimming so it's like instead of just having my favorite sports it's like a medium sport and a a terrible sport as well like keep things interesting and then the circumference so South Island of New Zealand is the like the adventure destination like North Island is where they did the Lord of the Rings stuff. And I think that's how you d- d- divide them. Um, but so I, I looked only at the South Island and I saw the, the circumference of it is the exact length of 10 Ironmans. What I can't even remember. I think it was like 2,200 kilometers or something like that. And so I thought I could try and do it in 25 days, basically starting on the 1st of November and finishing on my birthday on the 25th of November and see if I could cover all of this by doing the disciplines in the so like (laughs) trying to articulate this you think I would have got used to it by now um like I think it was 420 kilometers of running 42 kilometers of swimming and 1,800 kilometers of cycling. So like in the same proportions of Ironman, but not doing like a half Ironman every day, just so starting out with like a bunch of swimming in the North and then a lot of cycling. And then at the end, I was like, Oh no, I need to do a lot of running because I've only been cycling. <laughs> and the support team, this, this poor support team, like every day they'd be like, um, Tegan, maybe you should get off your bike and do some running kilometers now because you're going to get to the <laughs> end and have like three days and you're going to have to run 200 Ks. And I was like, no, it's fine. Um, but that is kind of what happened. And in the end, I was just like running and running and running. Um, but yeah, that's, so it's a bit of a complicated little thing, but yeah, it was, it was flipping awesome. I really enjoyed it. 
how did your body hold up for 420 K of running? Like, how did you get prepared for that? Or did you just kind of like hope for the best? (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my general strategy. (laughs) Just, <laughs> then won't go too badly wrong. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I only had sort of three months between thinking of this idea and then actually starting in New Zealand, which I didn't realize was quite a short amount of time. Um, so my body struggled <laughs> somewhat. Uh mainly like I think during the adventure, like I was I was really exhausted. I think sleep deprivation was quite a big one. But the biggest challenge, and maybe you'll be able to relate to this, is after afterwards, after that whole thing in the 25 days of having been running on like adrenaline and coffee nonstop for quite long, um, it messed up all my adrenal things and thyroid issues. And I, like I, for about a year after that, I was quite stuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, a big lesson in kind of preparing adequately for things. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's so super interesting. And we have a, we have a friend who just did a, a 900 kilometer trail run in, in like nine days, which was amazing. And yeah, I mean, wow. it's been two, two months, almost two and a half months and she's still recovering from it. People don't really realize that like the actual event is one thing, but the recovery from this kind of thing just takes so much longer than you would, you would imagine. Um, I have to ask, how did you prepare for the swimming? If like swimming was your scariest discipline? <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, I like try to go to a few swimming lessons <laughs> beforehand with that train with the triathlon squad. Um, but luckily, I mean, the, so, so luckily is swimming in a triathlon is relatively short already. Um, but I, I remember the day before we started, uh, the big thing in New Zealand, they would happen to be like a little quarter Ironman or some mini triathlon happening there. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go do it as a warm up and just see how my body's feeling. And we got in the water and it was like children and like very old people. <laughs> it was like, it was very much a community triathlon. We start swimming and they just, I just watch everybody passing me, <laughs> like looking around, like, oh no and then eventually I like get towards the end of the swim I think it was only like a kilometer if that and um there's people like coming in finishing on the bike I'm like still the last absolute last person getting out the water so I went into the triathlon knowing that like I just have to try finish the swimming um and uh so a lot of it was like breaststroke uh, and it was just slow. I, I think I like I made up for it on the bike, but it was, I think maybe the best part of that trip was just being so humble that like, I'm, you know, it takes, um, I want to say it's almost like embarrassing to be trying to do something big that you're really bad at and publicly doing that and being like, I'm trying to do this, this swimming thing. And they're like, well, but you can barely swim. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. Was, Thanks. <laughs> literally, I remember then the next day when I had to start the actual trip, and everyone was just like, "What is this girl doing? Like, she's useless." And then to you kind of and to just go and do it anyway. It's like it's a lot harder doing that than if you're actually good at something and you're trying it and people back you. Uh, but it's the, those hard things are probably healthiest for us. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually leads me to kind of the the other question I was wondering is just 
what is your, like the why for all of this? I mean, you could have kind of gone down like several different routes with, with cycling. I mean, you could have just kept going with the ultra endurance route before doing this triathlon thing. You could have, you know, gone for more of like road racing or any of that kind of stuff. And you're choosing to like, keep picking these adventures that are just out, like very outside of your comfort zone here. So how do you think about the, the why for this stuff? Um, I think, I mean, I, I suppose as a disclaimer, I should say that I, like, I'm, I'm not a good enough cyclist to actually compete at a very elite level. Like I had to, not to, um, I don't think women athletes should put themselves down. I'm not trying to put myself down. Like I, I have my niche and I enjoy my niche, but I'm not super elite. Like I could never be like taking racing that seriously. Like I'm maybe like a keen amateur um, but the the thing with adventures that I really enjoy is um, the creativity and the the design of trying to come up with some really interesting challenge. And it's almost like the physical adventures are great because they involve nature and your whole body. And I think you feel most alive when you're in your whole body. So my adventures do tend to be sort of outdoors or like the main ones. But uh, it's it's something that I think I enjoy in my whole life is like everything it can be an adventure like a shopping trip or uh, like <laughs> I like this <laughs> moving I like into this. a new house it's just kind of like this mindset of like creating these interesting little challenges like you know the floor is lava type of things would be like how putting these little limits on things to do it in a certain amount of days or get a certain amount of altitude um and when you're combining like um yeah, physical activities, weather, uh, geographical locations, interesting people, interesting backstories. It's literally like you, I want to say it's like a type of architecture that you're designing this whole little um, obstacle course for yourself physically and emotionally. And then you get to do the obstacle course. Um, and it, it, it's just problem solving. Like a, it's a whole lot of just problem solving as you're going which is also um, fun and interesting. So uh, yeah, I think I'll, I will stick with this type of adventuring for a while. I love it. I love it. And you are part of a, a cycling team there too, though. So talk to me about the team that you're you're riding with. What's what's their situation? So I ride for Wintergreen Barrier Breakers, and we're basically a, a women's, I want to say a women's like advocacy team. So we do race. Um, there's four of us in the team currently, two sort of pairs, and um, the, the other pair, that's not my pair, they do sort of like elite mountain bike racing. Um, but my partner, Renata, riding partner, and I do... Um, I guess, yeah, more adventure type of things, but we're sort of a lot more focused on building a women's cycling community in South Africa. And um, I guess very much aligned with what Liv does in a lot of ways, where it's not so performance focused exclusively. It's like performance is only one element of what cycling can do for you as a woman, especially in terms of just, confidence building and social community networking um just mechanical things so we've got an ambassadors program where we're trying to get women 
um, sort of writing from maybe more underprivileged communities, because that's also a really cool thing to get women on bikes who, um, who can use the bikes for transports, but then also see what racing has to offer and, yeah, like work, mechanical workshops and a lot of women's rides. Like even, we even just have a really big WhatsApp group of women cyclists. And it's so cool to see women chatting about things where it's a group of only women and it's not you're like the token woman in the group, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't know, like I, I'm guessing you guys have some really cool women's communities there, but here it's quite rare to have to be um, in a group where it's majority of women in the cycling community. And yeah. the whole tone of the conversation is just completely different. So our team is about trying to facilitate that the expansion of that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I have really loved how seeing how Liv has done that in so many different communities in the past couple of years, as I've, yeah. you know, just kind of gotten to know a lot of the, the women who, who ride for Liv. It's, they're all wicked fast. It's not like we're saying that like, <laughs> <laughs> these are like not high performing women but yeah I like that there's also this like secondary element to it too it's not just about pedaling really quick it's also about bringing bringing bikes you know into the conversation for more women which I love um, yeah. <laughs> okay so you have an adventure coming up almost a year away uh, you're planning to try to do the fastest ride from Cairo to Cape Town in October of next year. Um, so how does how does prep like that? Or how, how are you prepping for that? I mean, I know you had three months to this like 10 Ironman situation, but now you've got 11 months. So what do you even do with that time? <laughs> Goodness. Um, yeah, I mean, this has sort of been on the cards since that Africa trip that my family did in 2015. And I've, I've sort of started prepping for it the whole of this year and realizing like, oh my goodness, this is actually quite a lot of preparation <laughs> needed. With these big expeditions, I think what always gets me is that there is just so much logistical organizing that needs to happen. There's so many elements to it, like all the way from like press and marketing and sponsorship and support team and equipment and visas and the, and the training is like this one small little element of it. Isn't that um, funny when you realize the training is almost like the easy part? <laughs> literally. And it's like, you have to almost just remember to make time for it to be like, oh shit, like can't, um, can't just rock up on the day and not have trained because in a way it's the, it's something that I always find it so easy to let the training slip because you're like, well, this thing has to be submitted and this thing has to be organized and no one will know if I've done my session today or not. Um, <laughs> except my coach who's just like, Tegan, <laughs> stop this. <laughs> Please go ride your bike. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of preparation, I think it's, it's always been... So like I was mentioning to you earlier, we have had to delay it a few times because COVID has made traveling, um, traveling, if you're trying to travel fast, it's quite difficult to get through borders quickly nowadays because there's just a million COVID tests and you have to do COVID tests for the whole support crew. Um, So hopefully by October next year, countries will be accepting vaccines as meaning you don't have to do a test or you can Mm -hmm. just do a rapid test. Um, but it's it's been a blessing in a way to have pushed it back because just realizing like how much stuff needs to happen in terms of like really getting the route planning done right and really um, getting comfortable on my bike like I've done so so for example I'll have to average just under 300 kilometers a day 
for maybe like 40 or 50 days um, if I want to do it in the sort of ideal time frame that I would like to, which in itself is not actually that bad. But with the... <laughs> Just 300K a day, no big deal. <laughs> a lot I mean, of time for... on the saddle. Yeah, so I much think... time. <laughs> That's where, like, that's what always gets me with endurance cycling and with a lot of people that I think it takes a little while to to really comprehend is that it's not just about like whether you have the fitness to do it, but it's like, can your body handle that much saddle time without getting like these repetitive strain injuries and tendonitis and knee niggles and hip niggles um, and saddle sores is like a big one. Because we did a test trip, I rode up to the Namibian border and back earlier this year in five days. So it was kind of like similar. It was, a, it was about just under 300 k a day for, yeah, just for five days. And um, yeah, I got the worst saddle sores. My bum was on fire for <laughs> five days straight. I, oh my goodness, it was pain like I've never experienced. Um, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> cannot recommend that type of pain to anybody at all I remember at one point I was even wearing like three cycling shorts on top of each other to be like maybe this will help but it didn't if, no don't no. try that do <laughs> not try that at home <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that just reminds me of like the princess and the pea like that old story yeah. where the girl has like a hundred mattresses piled up <laughs> oh my goodness it was the princess and the like leading bottom <laughs> yeah yeah not um, a children's book that I would recommend <laughs> but uh <laughs> the graphics that will be blurred out yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is real life so I mean like what what yeah. is your plan for that are you going to try to find like di- are you going to use different saddles or different chamois or have you figured out a combination of chamois cream like what's how are you how are you going to handle it <laughs> Um, so luckily my dad and my boyfriend were like really good about encouraging me to like try different saddles because I think they could see that I had been in so much pain and I'd actually put on a new saddle just before the trip because I'd found that my previous saddle was too narrow which is something that women get all the time I mean you are the expert (laughs) it drives me crazy oh my gosh yeah yeah sit bones have nothing to do with how big you are as a human I I say this so often and I'm just going to repeat it again here in case anyone hasn't heard me talk about it. Like my dad is 300 pounds, five foot 10. I am five foot three and not 300 pounds. We have the exact same size sit bones. Does not matter how big you are. Your sit bones are just unrelated to that. So yeah, it's like the size of your skull. Like you just, it's just bone stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I bought, so I bought a, a bike um, a few years ago and just got the saddle that was on the bike, which is a men's saddle, and it was too narrow. Nobody mentioned anything about maybe the saddle will be too narrow for you. Maybe you want to try a different one. Maybe go for a saddle, like a pressure mapping. Like nobody said anything, which is partly why I'm so passionate about like having these women's communities where you can discuss this or just literally mention things to people who wouldn't have thought yet to ask the questions. Yeah. Um, Cause most people think the saddle that comes on your bike is the saddle that goes with the bike and like period, yeah. end of story, end of discussion. Yeah. Like, and then suddenly you had, cause that, and then the reason that I wanted to change from that swelling, swelling that, um, that saddle is because I was getting swelling um, from riding with no pressure on my sit bones. So my crotch was taking all the pressure. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, I should probably, like, this is probably bad. And then I 
like it didn't I just didn't want to think about it to be honest like I was, just kept putting it to the back of my mind because I'm like I, like who do I tell what do I do like it was just a bit overwhelming and then um eventually yeah so, so then eventually my boyfriend was like no like you are not happy this is not comfortable like go to your coach get a new saddle so I went and got a new saddle and put that on um just before the trip and then I got these saddle sores <laughs> Um, and then I think that that saddle was possibly a little hard or I, I can't, I'm not sure exactly, but, um, after I got all those saddle sores, my dad was like, okay, like Ting and you're not getting your act together here. So he sat and researched for like weeks, just different types of women's ultra endurance saddles. And, um, we ordered Best about dad six, ever. <laughs> literally he is the best. <laughs> and my mom is also the best, but my dad is a lot more invested in the cycling side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he went, he literally drove all around the province, just picking up these different saddles. Um, and we found one now that is really, seems to be really good. And I've done some long trips on it and saddles also have not been an issue. So I'm feeling positive, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it is real because I think a lot of women do end up with sort of permanent damage. And yeah. I mean, like I don't know if I should really say this on a podcast but I think like like my vagina is not what it once was <laughs> no no and it's a thing that people are very like afraid of saying or like discussing but I've, <laughs> I've now heard this from like many many endurance and just like even just like long time cyclists things change like, <laughs> not much time in the saddle changes stuff and it's you know it's not necessarily a bad or like medically problematic thing but like you can expect some changes when you're putting that many miles mm. on like and it's so. just worth getting it as comfortable as you can from the beginning because that i think does prevent a lot of this type of things so, mm-hmm. yeah saddle yeah. advocacy yeah exactly exactly <laughs> if there's one hill i'm going to die on that is that is the one <laughs> So with, with all of, with all of these sort of like, like roadblocks in terms of both visas and, and, you know, saddle stuff and all of these things, like what makes going for this Cairo to Cape Town record appealing? Like why do it? I mean, you could, there are so many like ultra endurance things you could do, but is it, is it like partially because it's so many pieces that have to come together that it's interesting? No, I mean, I I think almost similar to the New Zealand story in a way, and that's like, Riding through Africa doesn't have as much appeal to me from a like an enjoyment perspective as say like going to South America or maybe Bali. <laughs> like it's not um, it's and uh, going for this record specifically, it's just going to be hot, uh, possibly windy. <laughs> We're going to be on tar roads, main roads, going very fast with no sightseeing. Um, so I mean, I think that that's there's like a I wouldn't say that the actual cycling itself has lured me in, but it's more just this feeling of frustration <laughs> that I started to get when we were doing our trip to Africa and the January of that year, this guy called Keegan Longuero, he's a really cool guy and South African as well, went and he set the record from Cairo to Cape Town. And then like the next month, Mark Beaumont went and he broke that record by quite a bit. And then, um, the Swift guys, there's a team of like five guys, um, they, but they finished with three. But anyway, they did it like three months later. 
and then two other guys did it separately like a month and then two, and I was like watching and I was like wow this is so cool like I wonder what the woman's record is or like and there's just not a woman's record because it just doesn't exist because no like lots of women have cycled the route but just not for time and mm-hmm. I just felt so irritated that nobody was like when will there be a woman's record? What's the woman's side of the story? And and just uh, like that just can't be like that. Was, <laughs> it's the same, I guess, the Tour de France, where for so long there was just not, um, there was no silence. It was just silence when mm-hmm. it came to women and for so many things in the world of cycling. And it's not like, I wouldn't say I'm a, like a crazy feminist, or whatever, but it's, it's more just, I mean, I am a feminist, but it's, it's not a massive part of my identity, but I just felt uniquely irritated about this one thing that there was no woman's record. And I was like waiting for somebody to do it and realized eventually like, okay, I guess maybe I should try. And not, to, I mean, I don't even know if I can set a good record or, or like, I mean, it would be amazing to go for the overall record, which I definitely will try to do, but I don't know if I can, but I don't think that's really the point. Um, it's sort of just like, we need to, as women, start going and being like, well, if we're not going to be invited, then we're going to just pitch up and start like making a space for ourselves here because it's cycling is a cool sport and it's a cool community and it's a cool culture. So like, can we also be in it? I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think, yeah, we definitely need to get women on the board and more of these, uh, or on the leaderboard and more of these things. (laughs) I think that's, that's awesome. Um, okay. We're going to, we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit, or it kind of goes hand in hand, but the cartooning side of your life here. So it kind (laughs) of, it seems like it sort of started almost alongside of the cycling, but I mean, has, have you always been doing these little drawings and stuff or how did that kind of come to be and how did you end up bringing I mean I know you won the adventure bike this way but like how did how did all of this come together where now it's like you're the cartooning cyclist <laughs> yeah and I mean what even is what even is that I, I ask myself every day I'm like Tegan you know you don't have a real job right <laughs> but I think it's it's it has been like since I was little um I just always had this like compulsive need to to tell stories about experiences that I've had and for some reason that always took the form of some words and then I would run out of words and I would just draw stuff um and I remember even like when I was too young to be able to write words I would get my mom to like write and I would dictate and then I would illustrate these like very terrible pictures um and that has just always been something like an extension of myself in the world. And so I think with the, it just so happened that when I started doing these cycling trips and there was so much going on every day and so much that I wanted to share with people that the, the comics was just a natural way of depicting these just like really bizarre situations. Um, Yeah, I guess storytelling in a way and and so I'm trying to think how it became a career <laughs> I think on the year <laughs> when the year when I was traveling with my family I started to get a few um 
like commissions, I suppose I could have a few comics in some magazines and people wanted comics of themselves. Um, and so it started to be like, a, just making a tiny little bit of money through that. And I moved away when I got back from that trip. And I, when I got back from New Zealand, actually, I was like, okay, maybe I must just focus on the comics and leave the cycling out of it and just be a cartoonist. And I tried that for about a year or two, really focusing on, I built up like a little comic merchandise business with like mugs and things and um, got into a bit of speaking. Uh, and yeah, just, I guess, like various random cartoon related things, but I started to get quite miserable. And eventually I can't remember exactly how, but I got back on my bike. I think it was peer pressure actually. And um, it happened. after a few weeks of just like getting really back into riding and doing adventuring, I started to feel like coming alive again. And then I actually remember it was last year we were preparing for this women's only Everesting event that we were organizing. And um, some friends and I were out away on a holiday doing a, a full day of just practicing riding up hills. And it was the first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to share this story on um, Instagram where up until that point, I hadn't been sharing cycling stuff really. And I did share it. And like, I think some people eventually were like, after I started continuing to share cycling things, people were like, okay, this is another cyclist. Um, so it, was, it wasn't for everybody, but it was, I started to find this cycling community that was just wonderful. And um, it just felt so good and natural to be sharing cycling things and comics and having just all of the stuff that I love in life just combined into one creative outlet. Mm -hmm. uh, can't yeah. even remember the original question now. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much answered it there. Well, what I like about the comics is, I mean, they're obviously like cycling related, a lot of them, but I think most of them sort of apply to like life as a whole. It's not like you could be like, you could be a non-cyclist and look at your Instagram and still love it. So I think it's a really good way of sort of combining everything, but making it accessible, we'll say. So, uh, yeah. So actually on that note, I kind of wanted to dissect a couple of your, your recent cartoons, because I feel like the advice in them is just like the cartoons are adorable, but then the advice I'm like reading, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's <laughs> like really philosophical. I love this. So <laughs> yeah, the one I wanted to start with is the five things to remember if you're starting a new thing and we'll link to these in the show notes so people can go see how cute they are. Um, but actually the first one on that list is, um, is very much, it looks like a bike fit related where you talk about um, when it comes to getting practical with a new thing, get lots of advice on the physics, but judge the chemistry for yourself. So, okay, how did you come? I, yeah, just give me sort of the background. Like, how did you come up with these rules for life here? Um, yeah, so that post is very much a reflection actually on, I guess, kind of becoming a, a live ambassador. And the way that that started was um, being a, lent or sponsored or the, the a bike um the live i keep calling it a live enigma and i even called it that in an email to live which is very embarrassing it's called, it's called the live langma um, and it's a phenomenal bike and then they said like we've got this bike and i was like oh my god it looks amazing and the reviews were amazing and it was such an upgrade and i was so excited and then i got on the bike and it, it didn't quite fit my 
by body proportions because I've got a very short torso and relatively long legs. So most bikes, I, um, I, I have no stem. I push the saddle all the way forward and it's still like, I, and the, the saddle's high. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult for me to find bikes that actually um, fit properly. And so I'd, I'd spend a lot of time trying to get my old bike to fit to the extent that I'd actually got like one of those handlebar raising things so oh, that it wow. could be like narrow and tall. <laughs> um, oh, that was a disaster. But the point is that I, I got on this bike and I was so excited, but I, um, it didn't fit. So I didn't feel comfortable. And it was just this internal chaos, which I'm sure you've probably had with sponsors where you you are so grateful and proud to be representing a brand that you love and to have the support and backing and you like it's a dream come true but also like I'm not comfortable and like how I can't tell anyone or who and oh yeah so um and but uh, but I mean a, a really big part of it for me was like I've, I've been selected to represent a brand because um of, of being an authentic sort of ambassador for the sport and and so I can't just um like I want to be honest about this this journey and initially I, I was I, I don't know I, was, I, I like had to sit down and really think of a way forward and the kind of when I was reflecting on it I kept coming back to like you just have to be patient and take things one step at a time so first of all like before I'd like have a panic about this bike like let's go for a bike fit and see what adjustments can be made and I went for the bike fits and we ended up putting on a tiny stem and moving the saddle really far forward. And then my coach said, like, just ride for a while. And I did do that. And then I was like, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but there's even, and I suppose, but the, the thing about the chemistry is that it's, it's even more than just like getting those measurements and stuff, but it was, it was sort of through riding it for, for a while mm-hmm. to build, I want to say it's almost like a horse where you have to, build a relationship with this new thing that you're spending so much time with and it's not something that people can tell you like oh it's good so you must like it or oh it fits you so you must like it it's about actually having that quality time in the wind in the elements and then deciding like are we going to be friends or not and then I luckily decided like oh we're going to be besties this is a great bike um I love that though because so many people would have just not said anything and kept riding it like despite the discomfort or just would have like not ridden it, just kind of gone back to their old bike and just sort of like awkwardly, just like, Oh, we're just not going to mention any of this stuff and just never touch on it again. Um, And I think that honesty is so helpful. And I mean, I think you've probably like honestly telling that probably has kept a lot of people on their bikes that just like needed some tweaking to fit properly instead of returning them immediately. So I think ultimately like that's a, plus for live. Um, I do remember one company, um, it it was actually rally like 10 years ago. They just come out with their first ever women's cyclocross bike. And I was so excited because at this point, no brands had women's cyclocross bikes. Like no one was making them. You just bought like an extra small men's and hoped that it kind of (laughs) fit. And they sent it to me to review and I got on it and I was like, Oh no, (laughs) it was so bad. The geometry was just awful. They tried, like you could see like what they were thinking and how the thought process had gone. And it was like so thoughtful, but just didn't work. So I remember having to like talk to them and you know what though? Like I told them what I thought about it and the next year they fixed it. 
and the models after That's that were so cool. fantastic. So it was just like they had the right, they had their, their hearts were in the right place. <laughs> the engineering just needed a little bit of work. Um, and they got there and they had some fantastic women's bikes. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I had just kind of been like, yay, you have a women's bike, it's great. Like, just because I was so happy they had a women's bike, like, mm. there's a chance that that bike never would have gotten like pushed in the right direction. And I think like me and a few other women saying, like, no, this, this sucks. You need to fix this. <laughs> um, actually did move the needle a little bit. So yeah, I completely relate to this story. Um, and actually your, your second point in that, in that uh, cartoon post here is um, that it's okay to have mixed feelings about good things and good feelings about mixed things. Uh, and your real emotions should never be a cause for guilt, which I think you just kind of spoke to there. And I, I love that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the next thing you said is, you know, this is an opportunity to set a tone for problem solving. And again, we're coming back to that, like getting the saddle to fit right, all of that stuff. Um, And I think the problem solving is like the nature of adventure cycling, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's, it's all just one big problem to be solved. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Or not, (laughs) but to be tackled. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And oh, for gear people, point number four is actually probably my favorite. Uh, to love the new doesn't mean to hate the old. Um, I deeply enjoy this because I think most of our listeners are very like N plus one. We need new bikes. We need new everything. Um, but I'm a huge fan of like stuff that I've had for 15 years. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, that's just such a big part of getting this new bike for me is that I just had this feeling in my heart, like I refuse to hate my old bike. Like I will love this new bike and I do love it. And I only ride this bike now, but I still love my old bike. And like, I'm not going to put it down just because I've got something that's new, that's maybe more suited. And I still love my first bike ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think it's ever necessary to be like, I've got into this new thing, so now I, I hate the old, the other thing. Or, or it's just never necessary to have negativity towards things just because it's not the main thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. <laughs> Often when I think about whenever we talk about like, should we get a second dog? I'm always like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I could because I, I love our first dog so much that like, like I would never want him to feel like I love him any less. <laughs> feel the same way about new bikes. I'm like, I don't want my old bike to think that I no longer love it. <laughs> there we are I just equated my dog to my bike but it's fine Uh, he's downstairs listening he's like grumbling at me right now (laughs) that's how we literally talk about our vacuum cleaner (laughs) we've got one of those little like electric I mean those little robot vacuum cleaners and whenever we like don't let it out for day we're like oh we haven't let the vacuum cleaner out to snack <laughs> and like what if we get in different vacuum cleaner I'm like no how can you do that it's name is Leonard. You're like, you can't do that to Leonard. and you've like the second emotion it's quite oh yeah real. yeah I, we also have a Roomba it was the honestly it's the best investment I've ever made in my athletic career is what I argue because I'm like now I don't need to spend time vacuuming every day the Roomba does it for me <laughs> That's like 15 minutes a day of training right there. Exactly. So it's all about performance in the end. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Roomba was very performance enhancing for my life. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> also, I can now like do my yoga on our carpets and not come back with like a hand of dog hair every time I like go down to plank. So that's, yeah. that's a major, major benefit. Um, okay. And the last point on this one is the lens of expectation. can obscure reality at the cost of contentment, which is a very fancy thing to say in a comic. Um, can you break that one down? I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's very much about how we, you know, everything is as it is. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Um, At any moment in time, there's just what's happening. And and that generally has, from an experiential perspective, there's like a mental emotional element to that with kind of like your sensory perceptions and how you're feeling in your heart and what you're thinking. And then a physical element where it's like how you're feeling in your body. And that is the, that is it. <laughs> and that is never, that can only be so bad. Like you can only be in so much physical pain and maybe extreme physical pain. That's, that's really sort of how bad it can be. The rest, if you're not in extreme physical pain, then if you're judging the situation to be bad or in any way kind of lacking, that's just your own stuff in your head. And the way that we take what is happening around us and decide that it's not good enough and then feel bad about it is through having this yeah, the I say a lens of expectation, but it's just a, a way of looking at the world where you want things to be a certain way and everything is filtered according to that desire. And it's just completely silly because if you take it away, then you can just enjoy it to whatever's going on. And maybe it's different. Um, and I think it's like, not to say that we shouldn't have desires, but it can be, um, I guess in the, the context that I wrote that sentence was about like being on the new bike. I had to just filter out all of these sorts of being like, well, my old bike was like this, or maybe it could be like this, or so I've seen other people's bikes are like this. And to just keep coming back to like, I'm sitting on a bicycle now and I'm going forward. And like, what is that like? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I think like, it's that like the lens of expectation, you know, I'm thinking about when you, in the case of you get a new bike or, you know, you start a new training plan or, you know, you're heading into a race or something, heading into a race is probably one of the best examples mm-hmm. for it, right? Like you have an expectation on how you're going to do. And like, you know, you want to do Leadville in under 10 hours or whatever it is. And then, you know, you, you don't hit, you're like not going to hit the 10 hour mark and you could let that completely ruin the day. Or you could be like, well, I'm out here riding my bike. Like I'm going to finish in 11 hours. Like yeah, you can be pretty content with that. <laughs> so yeah, I think a lot of us in endurance sport, let our expectations for everything from gear to performance completely obscure. Yeah. Like the actual moment and the enjoyment of the moment. So I like that a lot. <laughs> rule for life. I like it. Um, I, I could have you dissect all of your comics for hours, I think. Um, but I think people should go find them. I feel like it's like reading a really good self-help book in like 30 seconds for each one of them, (laughs) which I love Thanks. as someone who reads a lot of self-development books. I really enjoy these (laughs) these like snippets of one. It's great. Um, so where can I tell everyone where they can find you, where they can, where they can see what you're what you're up to, how they can follow along, et cetera. 
I think the main place is is just Instagram for now. Um, that's Tegan Phillips Comics on Instagram. There's also a website with a shop that I'm building, <laughs> but it's yeah, teganphillips.com with some posters. I guess like of these exact things, I'm turning them into little posters. Oh, nice. And books and things. Um, but yeah, those are the main places. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. I feel like I could talk to you all day about this stuff. (laughs) So cool. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete and we will see you next week.